Good morning, everyone. It is so, so good to be here with you on a whole bunch of different levels. It's just great to gather. Um, Again, as Pastor Paul said, my name is Philip Pattison, and I'm here with some team members of Foster the Bay, and um, and I'm, I'm excited to be here this morning to share with you about something that I think is really near to the heart of God. Um, and because it's near to the heart of God, um, I know it's near to the heart of your leadership and to this community. Um, what I want to talk about today is uh, just uh, the idea around um, what would be called remarkable compassion. That's the title of the talk, okay? Remarkable compassion. And just so we're on the same page right out the gate, let me tell you what I mean when I say that, okay? So the word compassion, if you break it down, it's calm and then passion, right? So passion means to suffer, and then calm, C-O-M, means with. So to suffer with, that's what compassion means. So compassion means to stand with, to be with those who are suffering. And, and as I said, like that's really near to the heart of God, right? Um, you know, it's very clear in the scriptures, you open up the Bible, uh, God loves the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's true. But if you open up the scriptures, it's also very true. Um, you see this from the beginning all the way to the end, Genesis Revelation. There are some people on this planet that seem to make the top of God's list, right? It seems like there are some people that just have like a really special place in, in God's heart. And we know who they are. Again, you New Testament, Old Testament, it's very clear. It's the orphan, it's the widow, it's those who are poor or in need, and it is the alien, the immigrant, okay? So the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the immigrant. They have a special place in God's heart. And you see it all throughout scriptures. In other words, those who are without their family, those who are without a home, those who are in need, those who have suffered deep loss, God has a special place in his heart. Psalm 82, it says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy. Like that verse is one of literally dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible that make it absolutely clear what God's heart is towards the vulnerable. You know, and because that right there, remarkable compassion, because that is a defining characteristic of who God is, that has been a defining characteristic of God's people since the beginning, for the last 2,000 years. In fact, if, if you look, the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the church. Did you know that? Was started by followers of Jesus. Isn't that cool? If you look at education reform and prison reform and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and civil rights, and the list could go on and on and on, they trace their roots back to the Christian movement, back to followers of Jesus. Like that's our history as God's people. This is what we do is we move into places of brokenness and injustice and we bring justice and we bring healing and we bring hope. That's what the church does. And this is true for adoption. Uh, we actually have uh, historical records of this, this early Roman practice. When a child would be born into a family, what would often happen is they would do this ritual, right? So the child would be placed down at the foot of the father. And if the dad stooped down and picked up that baby in his arms, the child was said to have been like legitimized and welcomed into the family, which is pretty beautiful, except that sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the kid for whatever reason, right? It could have been that the, the child wasn't the preferred gender of that day. It was a girl rather than a boy. It could have been that the child looked sick or weak, you know, frail. It could, it could have been that maybe the child was conceived out of wedlock. For whatever reason, if the dad didn't stoop down and pick up that kid, instead what would happen is they would take this child outside of the city and it would be left and abandoned. And um, 
It was a totally common, acceptable practice at the time. It was called infant exposure. Totally acceptable. One of three things would happen to that child when they would leave the baby outside of the, the, the city. Uh, either, number one, the child might die, obviously, from the elements or from starvation. Or two, it might be found by slave traders. Slave traders would oftentimes go out and they would find these kids and they would end up selling them off into slavery. Or, and again, we have historical account after historical account of this. Or, they'd be found by Christians. Because early followers of Jesus would go out of the city at night and they would walk up and down the streets outside of the city listening for the cries of children. And then when they found them, they would rescue them and bring them back into their own homes and raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Isn't that cool? And by the way, it was early Christians that put pressure on the Roman government to outlaw that practice. Like that's what we do. This is, this is what the church does. We move into places of brokenness and injustice and we change things. Um, the same is true with foster care. So let me tell you about a guy named Charles Brace. Okay, um, Anybody here heard of Charles Brace? Probably not. Okay, in the, he, was, he was born in the 1800s, northeastern part of the U.S. Uh, when he was a young boy, he placed his faith in Jesus. And one day when he was a teenager, he was sitting in church, just like we all are today. And he heard a message from a pastor um, just like you are today. And the pastor said something that just radically changed his life, just like I did with you a moment ago. I'm kidding, by the way. <laughs> um, but he, the pastor said something that was like this defining moment in his life. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. This, this is basically what the pastor said. He said, you know, when you stop and think about it, when we consider all that God has done for us in our moments of need, the way that God met us in our moments when we were vulnerable, when we were hurting, when we consider that, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have some level, some level of responsibility to do something for those who are in need around us. Can I say that again? I kind of butchered that. Let me say it one more time. When we consider all that God has done for us in our moments of need, the way that he has met us in our moments of need, it is impossible to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility, some level of obligation to do something, anything, when we see those who are in need around us. That makes sense? It made sense to Charles. And so the, he, he remembered that. A few years would go by and he would be in New York City and he was studying to become a pastor. He was in seminary. And one day he went for a walk through the city and he came into a neighborhood called Five Points. And Five Points in New York City at that time was known for its crime and its poverty this prostitution and gang violence. And when he walked into that neighborhood, he said that his heart just melted because what he saw in front of him were hundreds of kids living in these really broken, unhealthy, inappropriate environments. And he said when he saw what he saw that day, that his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized in light of all that God had done for him when he was hurting, when he was in need, he had to do something with what he saw in front of him. And so he did. He got some of his buddies together and they started this organization called the Children's Aid Society, which by the way, is still going on today. And the Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a systemic level with what they were seeing in front of them in New York. So for example, they started the first free school lunch programs. They started the first free dental clinics for kids. They started schools for children who were disabled. They, 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 uh, started the first ever parent-teachers association. PTA came from the Children's Aid Society. Most notably, though, they started what we now call here in America the foster care system. 
So they would help these kids who were living in these, again, inappropriate, unhealthy environments find a loving, stable home to live in while their biological families did what they needed to do to create a healthy environment. And when they did, they were often reconciled back together. What morphed and evolved from there 150 years ago became what we call in America the foster care system. So follow me. Foster care was started by a Christian. It was started by a pastor who understood that in light of all that God has done for us, surely, surely we can do the same for those around us. Isn't that cool? So like that, that's our legacy. That, that's our history as the church. This is what we do. And I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be here today, not just because it's gorgeous, um, but I'm stoked to be here today to tell you that we have the opportunity to carry on that same torch in our generation in the Bay Area. Um, about five and a half years ago, my wife and I became foster parents. And, uh, and at the time I was pastoring a small church in, in San Jose, South San Jose. And, um, and we, you know, our hearts just, just grew really big for these kids that were coming into our home. And, and so we, we went to our church and our, our leadership team decided, um, hey, let's, let's rally our whole church around this. Like, let's, let's laser focus our engagement in the community around foster care. And so we did that. Early 2015, we cast vision to our small church and we said, hey, as a church community, let's really like reach out to and engage families and children who have been impacted by foster care. And so we were going to do some events for foster parents to encourage them and support them. We were going to come up with some donations for kids that were coming into care. Um, I I actually, I'm third generation foster parent, so I grew up having foster brothers and sisters. We adopted my three youngest brothers. When they come into our home, they had one paper bag. This is, they were three, four, and five-year-old. They had one paper bag and one stuffed animal from the police station. That's all they had with them. And so we said, hey, we're going to come up with some donations for kids coming into care as well. So when they come into the foster care, they're going to have th- all the things that they're going to need to be able to kind of make that transition. And then our big goal as a church was we said, let's do some events, let's do some donations. Um, but our big goal was we said, what if in 2015, we saw one more family open up their home? When you pastor a small church, like you kind of know everybody, right? So you can kind of, you kind of have stories and have a bit of an understanding. So when I first, when we first cast that vision in February of 2015, I can be, if I'm honest with you, I remember thinking, we'll do the first two. There's no way we're doing the third. <laughs> like I know all these people and nobody's going to say yes to this. None of you all are going to say yes. So I, that was, I'm just being honest, that was going through my mind. We had this, this goal, I thought, in a given year, what if there's one more home that opened up? So we cast that vision. Let me tell you what happened. Some social workers here in the Bay Area heard about it, and they came out and they met, they met with us in my office, and they said, hey, we heard what you wanted to do. We're happy to partner with you in your church. Like, that's great. We love this. They said, but right now, we are in a crisis. We're in an emergency crisis and it's just a little bit bigger than your church. She said, uh, there are more children entering into foster care today than we have homes that are ready for them. She said, do you think that there are other churches out there that would want to partner with you, want to work alongside to be able to help us address this crisis? The term that she actually used was, she said, would you consider spearheading a faith alliance? And so I said, gosh, what would that, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big phrase. What, I said, what does that mean to you? What exactly are you asking? And she said, we want to make sure that there's a home for every kid that comes into foster care. We don't want to see these kids being sent out of their communities anymore to other parts of the Bay Area or other parts of California because of a shortage of homes. And so we said, yes. And we said, man, if anybody, if any group of people should get this, 
that the vulnerable deserve love and stability and care. It should be the church. Like that's our story, right? And so we said yes. And so five years ago, we created this faith alliance, as she called it, and we call it Foster the Bay. In the fall of 2015, we launched with just a handful of churches in San Jose. And, um, and what we soon began to realize is that crisis was not simply isolated in San Jose or in Santa Clara County. That's true of all 10 counties of the Bay Area. There are more kids coming into foster care than there are homes that are ready for them, including in Sonoma County. And so it has been, like friends, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way that Bay Area churches, just like Soma, have said yes and responded to that invitation from these social workers. Today, there's 131 churches up and down the 10 counties of the Bay Area that have really linked arms together and said, we're, we're gonna change this. Like we're gonna, we're gonna work together. We're gonna raise up foster families. We're gonna raise up support friends until there are more than enough families to, to, to meet the need. So like as, as a collective of churches, as a coalition of churches, our goal is that one day there would be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. Isn't that cool? And, and, and we're, we're slowly, day by day, working towards that goal and taking, you know, day by day, getting just a little bit closer. So far, there's already been hundreds of kids welcomed into Foster the Bay Homes. And I do believe, my, my hope and my prayer is that some of you today might at least be open to whether or not God might have you be a part of that as well. Um, every church that we partner with, we just have this, this goal. We say, man, just like my church five years ago, what if there is one more home? What if, there's, what if there's one family? So that's our prayer today, is that given enough time right here at Soma, we would see one new foster family step forward with a team of support around it. That's our hope and our prayer. Um, when we started Foster the Bay, we started with like three core beliefs that were gonna like be the foundation of who we were and what was gonna really propel us forward. And I wanna just kind of spend the rest of my time just camping on those three core beliefs. I don't wanna share those with you. But here's the deal. I wanna, let me pause for a minute. I know that foster care is not for everybody. So let's just kind of put that up. So take a deep breath, relax, okay? Foster care is not for every one of you. Um, However, it may be for a handful of you. Um, But listen, foster care is one expression of remarkable compassion. There are a hundred different expressions and all of them matter. But here's the deal. Foster care may not be for you, but if you are a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is. That's not negotiable. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus is living a life of remarkable compassion, okay? Um, Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion. And therefore, as his followers, we follow in his footsteps. We, we reflect Jesus. And so regardless of the expression that, that he might be calling you into, um, I believe that these three core beliefs I'm gonna share here in just a minute, that they can be the foundation and really the driving force behind each of our lives of remarkable compassion. Follow me? Okay, so let me share this three with you. Here's the first one. Uh, the first core belief is uh, that every person has intrinsic value. Every person has intrinsic value. Um, so we know, of course, that in Genesis it says that we were created in God's image, like that his fingerprint is on us. That's true for every man, woman, and child. In Ephesians 1, it says um, that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. You've probably read that or heard that before. Take, just pause for a minute and think about that. God spoke you forth from before the foundation of the world. That means that your mom, that, that moment when your mom and your dad came together and you came into being, I'm not gonna get, there are little ears here, I'll just leave it at that. But that moment when your mom and dad, came, and it's disgusting too, right, to think about. Your mom and your dad came together and you were conceived. That moment was second for you. 
That was secondary. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before this physical universe ever existed. How cool is that? The book of Isaiah says that we are precious to God in his sight. We are precious to him. I have a a buddy who's a foster dad. He tells a story. He says that one time he got a a call for a kid who needed a placement. And they they were trying to see this guy would would take this kid in. And and he already had kids in his home at the time. So he was on the phone. He said, well, I've already got kids in the the family. Um, Would would you mind just telling me a little bit about this child before we say yes? I want to make sure that it's going to be an appropriate fit. And, uh, and so they said, well, we don't know too much about him yet. He's pretty new to the system. They said, we do know one thing. We know he's a biter. <laughs> and uh, my buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, wh- what does he bite? And, and so he, he said, he thought to himself, like, I'm not sure that I want to take in a biter. He said that as soon as that thought hit him, his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, and I realized that the term biter is an inadequate description of a child. The term biter is an incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because you are more than the worst thing that you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. Can I, I'm just, I'm just going to say that again, because I think that that's important. You might have come out today to the Grove just to hear that one single statement. Um, you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. Like you matter to God. Amen. You are valuable to God. You know, he, he didn't just say it. He didn't just write it, ink on a page, 2,000 years. It, 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 he proved it, didn't he, right? How, how do you determine the value of something? We, how, how do we know what, what something is worth? We determine the value of something by what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? That's how we know what something is worth. What is somebody willing to pay for what was God willing to pay for you and for me? Like, we're important to God. We're precious to him. And the same is true for every man, woman, and child across Sonoma County and across the Bay Area. Right? We matter to God. Um, God proves his love for us in this. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that brings me to our second core belief. This is, this is the second core belief that's really pushing this thing forward, is that, that their story is our story. Okay, their story is my story. I would go so far as to say that there may be no time, I might be a little bit biased here, okay? But there may be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments and the, the days when you open up your heart and your family to someone in need. Because that's what God's done for us, right? Isn't that our story? Like there was a time in my life when I was hurting and I felt beat up and I felt alone and I felt absolutely lost. And when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, when I felt like because of all of the, the, the wounds and the scars from my past that I'd lost any hope for my future, when I was at that place, th- there was a moment when God showed up and he opened a door and he made a way for me to be b- brought into his family. Is that your story? Like when I think about, when I consider all that God has done for me and, and my brokenness and the way that he has brought me in and he's given me a new hope for my future, like it makes me want to do that for somebody else, doesn't it? There's a verse in Ephesians, again, Ephesians 1, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
This is what he wanted to do and it brought him great pleasure. I'm gonna say that one again. It's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. Can you, can you, have, can you qualify them like that? Quantify? I don't know. It's one of my favorite. I can say that. God decided in advance. This wasn't plan B, plan C, plan D. In advance, he decided. He was going to adopt us into his family. He did not do this begrudgingly. He didn't do this simply because he, we, we, we put his back up against the wall. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. It's what he wanted to do. Some of you, by the way, and again, this isn't in any of my notes, but I just want to feel like I should say this. There goes my notes anyway. It's all right. I don't use them if you can't, if you can't tell. Uh, um, the, uh, some of you, I think, are, are still, maybe have this mindset. I know that I've wrestled with this a lot in my Christian life. Is, is, does God want me as part of his family? Or is he begrudgingly, fine, come on in, but behave yourself, Right? God, it's what he wanted to do. God wants, if you're here today and you're just exploring and you've been coming into Soma, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is and you're wanting to know if there really is a God out there, would he actually want somebody like me? Is there a place for somebody like, after all the things I've done and all the places I've been and I continue to do, um, would there be a place for me? Please hear this verse in Ephesians 1. He decided in advance to adopt you. It's what he wants to do. And it would give him great pleasure. It brought him great pleasure, it says. It would give him great pleasure to welcome you into the family. I love that it says it brought him great pleasure. Um, as a foster dad who's brought in some kiddos into the, in, in our home, I can, I can relate with this on kind of a minute scale, finite scale. Like bringing these kids into our home has brought us a ton of pleasure, a ton of joy. We're, um, we are, we've been fostering a little girl now. We got her when she was two months old. She's almost four today. And so we've, been, we've had her in our home for over 1,300 days. I was talking about with my son on the drive up here. Um, over 1,300 days, right? That's, that means I've tucked her into bed 1,300 plus times. I've told her to go back to bed like thousands of times. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like last night I told her thousands of times. Um, uh, we have fed her thousands of meals. We have given her thousands of hugs. I have told her I loved her thousands of times. She has brought so much joy and life. I can't tell you her name. I can't tell you details about her story because she's technically still in the system and there are privacy laws around that. I'll tell you this though. Her name, it means light. And that's what she's been to our family. She's been an absolute light. She, she is a delight to our family. She's brought so much joy and pleasure. And actually, this last week, I can't tell you this. This last week, we got our adoption date. We're adopting this little girl in two weeks, two and a half weeks. This is awesome. Yeah, you can clap. That's awesome. Um, after 1,381 days of fostering, she'll, we'll, we'll move from being her foster family to her forever family. Um, I'll come back and I'll tell you her name in details later, another, another time, after she's been adopted. Um, it has it, it brought so much pleasure to welcome these kids into our home. And I love to think that the way that I see our little girl, um, that's the way God sees me, and infinitely more, of course. Um, but that kind of delight that we experience in her, that he actually, that we, we bring him pleasure. He's our father. Um, but here's the deal. Like, not only God bringing us into family, not, that, that not only brings God pleasure. Welcoming us into his family didn't just bring him joy and pleasure. It also came with something else. Pastor Paul just said the verse a, a few minutes ago. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was joy when God brought us into his family. But there was also a cross. 
In the same way, when you and I show remarkable compassion towards others, there will always, always, always be a cost involved. When people hear that we foster and what we do with Foster the Bay, I hear this quite a bit. They say, oh, that's so cool. That's so great of you guys. I could never do that. <laughs> I could never foster. Like it, they say, isn't it hard? Like sometimes the kids, they come from different backgrounds, different experiences, and sometimes aren't they going to act out of that? Like aren't they going to misbehave? Or is it going to be chaos in the home? And the truth is, yeah, sometimes that's true. We all act out of our trauma, don't we? We all re- respond out of the trauma we've experienced. Oftentimes, these kids have had much more trauma than you and I have experienced. And so they're going to, at times, maybe, maybe act out of that. So yes, that is true. And sometimes people will say, well, I could never do that. I would get too attached. You know, I, I, I would, like what happens when they become into your home? Sorry, I'm all over the place. Let me do this here. Uh, and they say, you know, what, what if I get too attached? So they come into my home and for years I'm going to, you know, pour my heart into them. Like we've been fostering this little girl for almost four years. Like what happens when they're in your home for a year or two years and then they go back home after you've gotten attached and you've fallen in love with them and they become a part of your family? Isn't that hard to say goodbye? Can I tell you the answer to that? Yes. <laughs> I'm not a cold-hearted robot. Yes, absolutely. It is hard. Absolutely. The first little girl we got, we got her when she was four months old. She was in our house for just under a year. Right, we fell in love with that little girl like that. She became a sister to my kids, a daughter to my wife and me. And um, she, she took her first steps in my living room. She, her first words was she called me Dada. Okay. Um, we fell in love with this little girl. But over that year, we were also getting to know her, her biological parents. And the thing is, her mom and dad had made some significant mistakes. Like there was a reason why their little girl was in our family. Um, but throughout that year, they were doing everything that they possibly could to be able to get their little girl back taking all the right steps, attending all the right classes, doing everything that they needed to do. And so after about a year, the judge gave the, the, the thumbs up, the green light, and said, okay, it's time. And I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her dad at my front door. And my son here, um, he told me that was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Because we wept that day and the next day. Of course it's hard. It rips your heart out but we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good, right? Compassion's not about you. We, we have a friend who says, you, 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 don't, you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. You see the difference? And that's true, again, with every expression of compassion. You don't show compassion so you can to, to, to get something for yourself. You show compassion to give yourself to something. There's a big difference. But if we are willing to do that, if we are willing to embrace both the, the, the pleasure and the sacrifice, right? Both the joy and the cost. It's incredible to think about the impact that, that we can have together. And that, that brings me to our kind of a third and kind of final core belief. And that's this. Um, trying to remember it without looking at my notes here. Because I'm just have a blank thing here. Um, Forget it. I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to worry about the specific wording I used. Uh, the best way that we can see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for the vulnerable today. Okay? Um, kids who grow up without a stable, healthy environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they get older, as you can imagine, right? So, for example, uh, the FBI did a study 
a few years ago that said that 60% of the kids that they rescued from human trafficking here in the United States, 60% came from foster care. Okay, um, Upwards of 70% of the inmates in the California prison system today spent time in foster care. Half of the kids that age out of foster care uh, will be uh, unemployed in their early 20s. Uh, a third will be on the streets. Half will have a substance addiction. More than half have PTSD. Right? You're actually twice as likely to have PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's experienced combat. Think about that, right? Because of all that they've walked through. I could just keep going when it comes to teen pregnancy and lack of education and and, and domestic violence and, and, and the list could go on and on. Here's my point. We need groups and churches and individuals and nonprofits that deal with all those things that I just listed out. We need groups going into St. James Park in San Jose and the Tenderloin in San Francisco, helping those who are homeless right now, like providing meals and, and, and showers and job training. We need uh, groups like BAATC and IJM that are, that are kicking down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked today, right now. We need that. We need these things to be addressed. But what if in addition to that, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they ever enter into those issues? So like, what would, think about this. What would the Bay Area look like in 20 years if every single kid today that entered into foster care was immediately placed into a loving, stable home? Like, so it's not just like a little catchy little phrase, like mantra. The best way that we can see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable children today. This is the upstream approach. Um, I believe that God is calling some of you to be a part of that. And there are a couple of ways that you can take that step and, and, and get involved. And for maybe one or two families here, maybe three families, we'll go big, um, that might actually mean opening up your home to a child in foster care, opening up your home to a, a teenager, opening up your home to siblings. That might actually mean that for you. And I hope that if that's something that's stirring in your heart, that you might have the courage to follow God's leading in that, just simply to learn a little bit more. But for most of you, that's probably not what God's calling you into, okay? Um, But I want you to know, if God is stirring in your heart, and maybe you're not at a season in your life when you can take that step, or you're not at a place where you can do that, um, I want you to know there are other ways that you can make a significant difference. You see, one of the reasons why there's such a shortage of foster families is because retention of foster families is really low. So there's a study came out about a year ago, said that upwards of 60% of foster families nationwide won't make it past year one. First year, they're out. Because of all the reasons we've already talked about. It's challenging. Uh, as a foster parent, we're still fostering today. Five years later, I can tell you, I, I, can, I see why. I can see why. It's really hard. There have been se- I'm just being totally frank here. There have been seasons in my life where it felt like hell in our home. It was hard. Um, do you know what changes retention for foster parents? you know what changes that? is when a foster family takes their journey within the context of a community. When they have, and I'm not talking like, oh, Paul, cool, you guys are going to foster. Give me a call if you need help sometime. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about covenanted community. Um, if, if, if they were to take that journey with like practical, emotional, spiritual support all along the way. And so our goal 
And every church we partner with is to see not just a foster family raised up, but a foster family with a team of at least four support friends, at least four households that are coming around that family to bring meals and to babysit and to help with transportation and to pray for them and encourage them on a regular basis. We've got a support friend team, my family and I. We have a support friend who sends a cleaner to our house every month. It's awesome. For like close to four years, we've had our house deep cleaned once a month because of this family who deeply cares about it, but they weren't out of place. I mean, they lived a little ways away from us. They have young kids. They both work. It was hard for them to come and do a whole lot of babysitting, but what they could do is they had a little bit of margin financially. They sent a cleaner out. It's incredibly valuable. So it's everybody doing what they can do. So perhaps that might be something that God is calling you into. It's taking that step to, to actually wrap around a foster family who's taken that journey. Um, if, if, if either of those roles, foster family, a support friend, perhaps you just want to help be kind of, a, you know, mobilize this right here at SOMA. We, we call that role an advocate. Um, that's, another, that's another role that's all we we're always looking for. Somebody like, hey, I want, to, I want to be on like the leadership level of this thing. I want to see more families raised up. I want to see more support friends raised up. I want to make sure these families are cared for. I want, to, I want to be an advocate. If any of this sounds interesting to you, you want to learn a little bit more, I want to invite you. We have next step cards right there on that table. You can grab a, t- a card. You can grab a pen. You can use that pen. Why don't you hold, if you, if you grab a pen, keep that pen. It's yours now. We're not sharing pens. So grab it, fill it out, keep it. Um, and, and then listen, if you fill out that next step card, I give you my word. We will not drop a foster kid off to your house tomorrow. All, <laughs> all, all we will do is we will send you an email, okay? We'll send you an email with a link uh, just where you can uh, re- register your RSVP, your spot at one of our next interest meetings. We are hosting these on Zoom. There's an hour-long information meeting where you can learn more about what it would look like for you to be a foster parent or a support friend or an advocate or just even know how to pray. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Our next one is coming up on October 20th, just a couple days. And we've got a whole bunch more in November as well. Okay. If you prefer not to do anything physical, you can jump on the uh, on your phone. You can go all digital. You can just go to our website, fosterthebay.org slash RSVP. Fosterthebay.org slash RSVP. And you can go digital and you don't have to worry about a, a card. Okay. But we would love to welcome you in. So far, we've seen 169 foster families raised up through our coalition of churches. Uh, almost 600 households stepped forward to support friends. And again, as a result, hundreds of kids have been welcomed into foster bay homes. And I believe that that number needs to continue to increase. And I believe some of those numbers are right here in, in, in the growth. Um, let me close with this. And uh, the band can come, come back up maybe uh, as well. Because um, I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, I know foster care, again, is not for everybody. Right? Um, but again, every one of us are called into a life of remarkable compassion. And um, my question to you is this. I, would you be willing to ask yourself this question? Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? Um, and if not, if the answer is no, no to that, would you be willing to take some steps to change it? Because listen, I, I started by, by telling you what the word compassion means. Let me tell you what the word remarkable means. Remarkable literally just means you're able to remark on it. Right? Remark able. You're able to remark on. In other words, it's worth talking about. Um, are you living a life of compassion that's worth talking about? Are you living in such... When, 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 the, when the watching world looks into your home and they see the way that you spend your time and your resources and your gifts and your relationships, like, 
is it, is it worth talking about? Because in Matthew 5, if I remember correctly, you're talking through the Sermon on the Mount right now as a church, or you were. Um, so it, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in other words, when the watching world looks into the way that you are living your life, does it cause them to respond? Because that, that's how, that, that's, that's God's calling for my life. And so progressively, I'm, I'm asking God to help me live more and more into a, a kind of a remarkably compassionate life. That's his call for me, and it's his call for you. So how might God be calling you into that? Whether it's foster care, it's one of the other thousands of expressions of remarkable compassion. The way that you engage your neighbor, the way that you care about the vulnerable. Who are you praying for? Where are you, what, what are you giving your money towards? God is inviting you into a daring, heartbreaking at times, challenging, beautiful and fun adventure. I hope that you'll respond. God, thank you so much for this church. God, thank you for all that you are doing and have done through them. Thank you for Paul and his leadership and the team here. God, I pray that you would bless the city of Sebastopol, that you would bless Sonoma County um, through Soma. I pray, that, I pray that Sonoma County would never be the same as a result of Soma, the community of Soma being here in 2020 and 2021 and 2020, that what you're gonna do through them. God, I pray right now that for each one of us, myself very much included in this, that you would stir in us a deeper desire to make the best use of these short years that we have on this planet. That we would be purposeful and intentional. That we would use our times to invest in those around us, God. That we would care deeply for our young neighbors in need. Um, God, I pray right now that for those whose, whose hearts you may be stirring right now, that you would give them the courage to follow your leading. You give them the clarity to know what their next step should be. God, I pray that, um, I pray that Lord, you would give us um, the wisdom, the discernment, and the courage to follow you one step at a time. We love you. We're so grateful that we get to be called into this great work. We thank you that it, that it really does flow out of the fact that we, were loved for, we love others because you loved us first. Thank you for your, the, the adoption that you have offered to, to, to us. And thank you that so many here have, have accepted that. God, I pray that that would overflow out of us into um, the, the way we invest in others. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.